Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Pull up a dock chair, have a sip of your coffee, and get a line in the water. This is Cabin Country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydstead, and I'm Fudd Klugman, with another Woodland Escape. All right, it's a fireside time here, 7.35 p.m., Late in the season, and uh, we're getting plenty of dark, dark skies by this time of night. Uh, tradition, FUD, sitting around the fire ring and uh, burning off the snags we hauled in from uh, you know, trying doing our part to reduce the fire load, bringing in snags, uh, you know, tr- down trees that are that are dry enough to burn, and uh, Swedish saw and the pruning saw, and getting these things shaped up. It used to be the case that we'd come up here and. It would be sort of the manly man contest with uh, splitting maul and double-bladed axes. And, and I think we realized shortly thereafter, a couple pulled muscles and some some uh, powerful, powerful blisters. Maybe it was time to switch back to the, the Swedish saw and the pruning saw and make short work of it. Take care of, uh, like I said, reducing the fire load and, and uh, just enjoying an evening. The Gull, Gull River gets mighty quiet this time of day. It does. And with the wind coming uh, out of the north, even though it's barely a breeze, it's we're hearing 210 crossing crossing the river just uh, about a mile up. And it's a little bit of a little bit of a roar, but it still is quiet. It is. It is uh, one of my favorite things about this place is the occasional if we're here at the right time of year. Hearing uh, gunnery practice from distant Camp uh, Camp Ripley, oh, yes. and uh, you know, here we are. It's the 11th of October, and we're getting in on uh, on on a couple things. It's it's grouse season, and it is also clearly waterfowl season. And uh, boys, we've we've uh, taken out the Sea Queen to enjoy the the spans of the Gull River today, and and uh, fought with the classic. Engine trouble a little bit, but a little bit got through it and uh, came came into port limping under ore power, but by and large it went well. But uh, to hear 
the 12 gauges going off um, you know colorful leaves cool air sunny and and the report of the, the 12 gauge shotguns you know somebody somewhere is hopefully bagging their limit and uh, that said still seeing seagulls kind of turning circles over the river and the very large great blue herons landing in treetops and, and then lighting again in the water it's, it's uh, a beautiful thing this time fud we haven't seen any osprey i haven't seen an osprey yet no i i thought i heard one earlier but uh yeah i think one was uh, kind of hollering it was either chasing or being chased by something else pretty large don't know if it was a bald eagle or not but um in fact, I think the uh, the uh, the blue herons were squawking away around the same time, so I, I thought I heard one. But the geese geese are flying about. Uh, I haven't seen many ducks in the air. We've heard gunshots in the back bay across across the way there, but I don't know what they're seeing. But uh, but we did uh, kick up a couple of grouse today, didn't we? On a we did, yes. Uh, walking along the highway, uh, not even the highway, just the, the road leading in to this uh, back stretch of the Gull River and seeing, you know, under underbrush being at a minimum, it was time to get into uh, into the woods. And there were paths headed down. We wanted to see on the edge of uh, some of the sloughs, are there, are there you know, telltales of hunters and successes or tragedies? You know, there's spent shell cases. Um, we uh, heard some noises decided we'd we'd walk a little bit thought at first perhaps just some pretty aggressive squirrels and all of a sudden the the running and the chirping turned into a, a burst from cover and one grouse that came up and and we decided hey it's time to walk into the thicker stuff and see if we can't flush that grouse again you had you had your camera fud you were ready to uh catch that image and uh i think it hunkered down and decided i'm i'm staying put you're not gonna, you're not gonna get me out of here yeah, it was pretty thick yeah i we could have walked right on top of it, but uh, I was I was waiting for the explosion to scare the wits out of me, but it uh, just never happened. We gave up after about ten minutes. And almost sort of swimming through uh, brambles and, and undergrowth. It was it was pretty thick, so we decided, hey, we'll walk back. About that point, a whitetail decided to run deeper into the woods. We saw that take off, and then uh, that same sound again. And I'll be darned if uh, there we didn't see kind of gliding among the trees... Uh, there's there's yet a second rough grouse so that was exciting and it was good news and i know we both talked about perhaps cleaning retuning the 12 gauges and and perhaps taking a walk in the woods at some point ourselves seeing what we can't scare up someday yes it's uh we keep talking about it (laughs) someday we'll uh maybe actually follow through talk is cheap talk is cheap yeah we'll have to we'll have to do that but uh People were out. We kept hearing it. We kept uh, seeing it. It was kind of fun, too, to, to hear this very loud vessel coming down river at one point after multiple reports from 12-gauge shotguns. From the sounds of it, I'm guessing it was a 12 or several 12s. It sounded semi-automatic because they were in quick repeat. And uh, three guys totally bedecked in camo, head to toe, paint on the faces, and in a boat, uh, kind of a low-slung boat with about a 40-horse sounded very loud i might add i'm not quite sure what was up with that engine but uh they had the entire vessel kind of uh laden down with uh imitation reeds and some real ones too i think it looked like a floating island going down going down the river so 
these guys were in it to win it and still shooting by about four o'clock so it was starting to kind of turn that corner of when it was time to put the guns away and they were they were they were the diehards they were going to be you know right there till the end and then we saw them come back up river again that was it and also uh while we sojourned down the river at, at the the mercy of the mariner nine horse uh passed by a, a fast moving large pontoon and he went to one end of the river and then came back again hauling a uh, a floating dock yeah. So it's time to take the dock out, October 11th. Yep, uh, one guy dragging his floating dock somewhere downriver, and another neighbor uh, kind of ratcheting on the pontoon on his pontoon trailer, getting that ready. So people are moving out. The hunters are still active, but uh, that's kind of why I like this time of year. It's Things quiet down. Well, we thought we'd take just this moment uh, as the fire catches yet again and, and kind of comes back to life. Uh, we'll call this the special edition of Cabin Country, the campfire, campfire side food edition. We'll talk about some of the things that uh, Fudd and I have uh, sustained ourselves with on these many years of trips up to uh, the Gull River, and specifically around the campfire uh, in the early days. When we first started doing this, I, I know there was a, a favorite in the early, early times was uh, chili dogs, FUD. I, oh, yes. Putting the can of uh, some type of canned chili over the, uh, over the fire and letting it kind of start to boil and bubble and then getting a huge fire going. And back in those days, it was truly almost a fire event you know <laughs> how big a fire could we get going and and that is not necessarily the best way to go about things unless you're keen on having to put out the surrounding woods which we're not so cutting of green sticks and hot dogs on the fire in the fire i guess i should say while the chili bubbled away over a grate and uh i recall on that trip too i was in my how much can we get for as little possible money? And I'd found a bag, several bags in a convenience store of, hey, these are almost brand name snacks. Me, I, I kind of like these cheesy flavored things that, uh, well, trying to avoid lawsuits here, FUD, but uh, <laughs> cheese doodle kind of things. Uh, there's a better name for them, but uh, this this was an off brand. And, and boy, were they off. And we uh, ate our char-roasted dogs and our slightly over-charred chili all together and uh, realized we're getting kind of full and, and not not super happy to be that way and decided it was time to offer up said cheese product crispy snack to the to the fire and i have never seen a fire catch like those things i have no idea what the fat content of those things were but it was better than a can of gasoline i'll say that much a good fire starter. Oh, an excellent fire starter. Excellent fire starter. Now, it's slowly morphed over time, FUD, into something a little more sedate and a little less fire-specific. Uh, perhaps you'd like to enlighten us on, on where this has taken us in the past few years. You're right. Well, you know, it it becomes more about convenience and not having to clean up after yourself and wait too long to make it, not have to spend too much time cleaning it up after yourselves. So, I don't know when it was, a good uh, several like years. Six years ago, probably, yeah. That we decided, let's just get 
a pound of bird. Well, like, uh, <laughs> in, our, in this case, turkey, a, sh- uh, a sliced turkey breast, um, maybe sometimes with a, with a, a peppered seasoning on it, or, but just basically your oven-roasted turkey breast. And it, it's pretty good, you know, get it from the deli up here, and uh, some good bread or favored bread that, uh, I mean, because, you know, any good sandwich... It, it's it's the bread that really makes it, but but that way you know the only thing is it becomes our 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 lunch and our dinner, maybe breakfast on the morning we leave. <laughs> so it uh, you do get tired of it. So it is kind of a turkey fest, but uh, but hey, it's pretty easy. Now this evening we did something a little different. True. We uh, we decided while we were at our favorite uh, our traditional hangout store. On uh, the Saturdays, we're up here in the fall. I, I just decided to grab a big can of beans. It's delicious. I thought, well, hey, it's filling and full of fiber, and it's uh, delicious. It's kind of a cowboy thing, so uh, we'll just open up the can and and stick it over the fire and let it boil in the can. And uh, I can't say what the air is going to be like in the cabin a little later, but <laughs> but it was it was satisfying. Lots of turkey, lots of beans. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it could make for an interesting evening. But uh, the bottom line is, at the end of the day, when you got paper plates, you know, the tail end of that turkey sandwich, you're starting to feel a little staunch through the midsection. You add it to the fire. You offer it up to the fire, and uh, it's all gone. There's nothing to clean. I will say this much: uh, by the end of the weekend, we're 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 done with turkey. There's no question of that. I That's right. Don't need to see turkey again for several months. So, anyway. Hey, I hope you're not planning on getting back to that chores list. This is Cabin Country. Get back in your easy chair and grab your coffee mug. we got some more stories to tell. A long day's angling or an end to the afternoon's water skiing brings with it a trophy-sized hunger. And no place satisfies that hunger better than the Cracklin' Jack Pine, Crow Wing County's unique supper club. Cracklin' Jack's offers you the finest house salads with your choice of dressings, an anchor-sized foil-wrapped baked potato, and all the tap beers and mixed drinks you've come to expect when dining out. And the kicker? You get to cook your own meat to your own personal likings and tastes. Bring in your own porterhouse, T-bone, or New York strip. You're the chef. You decide when your meat is medium rare or well done. And if you'd like to leave the meat course to us, we proudly offer our half-pound Whitetail Frank, a mighty link that will sizzle and hiss on our custom 15-by-20-foot char grill that you'll find in the Jack Pine Grill Room. Any seasoning you might need is there for you, and you'll never run out of butter. Join us at the Cracklin' Jack Pine. Your chef's hat and apron are optional. And reservations are still strongly suggested. The Cracklin' Jack Pine is now proudly offering a mix of Roquefort and French dressings for those who like something a little different on their salads. We hope to see you soon at the Cracklin' Jack Pine. Now let's join Fudd and Bjorn back in Cabin Country. I think we should touch upon some of the 
some of the other foodstuffs that we, you know, have experienced in the great outdoors. And I'm thinking of some distant Canada trips. Oh, yeah. Where we came up with a special recipe to, uh, again, I think it was just a matter of convenience. And at this time, we're talking about three, three white guys in their 20s camping oh, up in Canada. And uh, what are we going to do for something that's... Well, I don't even know what we were thinking, but why don't you... I have no idea. I have no idea. I do know this. For some strange reason, we ended up with, uh, you know, in the in the larder, there were multiple cans of kind of a mixed vegetable collection. Uh, there was types of, of soup with the white and red labels. We'll just call it turkey vegetable. And there was something else that went into it. For the life of me, I don't recall what it was exactly, uh, but... A couple cans of that turkey vegetable, and then about five cans of this just mixed vegetable. veggie blast in a can. And we had been out canoeing and fishing and swimming and the whole day. And uh, college-age guys, not a lot of planning going into it. <laughs> and what's going to get eaten? I don't know. You know, uh, <laughs> how many power bars can you chew down in one day? Uh, how much candy have you got? This kind of thing. But now it's time, and everybody's tired, and it's the end of the day, and there's a fire going, and what in the world is going to fill you up? And we were all hollow. I mean, we were we were ready to chew through the tires of the car if we couldn't find anything. But there was this pot full of stuff, largely turkey vegetable soup and just mixed vegetables all steaming away. And uh, it was given the odd name... Crew cut with a K, K E R E W K U T T, and uh, we even took it so far as to name it Crazy Canadian Crew Cut. Uh, of course, all again, all with, with a K, with K's, and uh, for no reason other than the drive up, you pass all these convenience stores. Since when people started spelling convenience with a K, I don't know, but uh, lots of different or clean, you know, clean your car again. The K's, I'm like, boy, we are. We are getting creative with our spelling here, so it became Crazy Canadian Crew Cut. And oddly enough, under Canadian stars, 8, 9 o'clock at night, they're hollow, absolutely empty. Boy, that stuff tasted pretty good. Mouth-watering. It went down well. I, I, it was good. And I don't know that it would ever taste like that again, and frankly, it would probably be fairly ghastly if we sat down to it right now. If I tried to offer it to my senior in high school and my 8th grader, I'd, I'd probably be asked what exactly I had in mind. You know, what are you planning on doing with this, Dad? Because we're not going to eat it. But, uh, you know, at the end of a long day, and you don't know what to do. Man, that, that worked pretty well. That was good. I think you have to be, well, very hungry and not want to work too hard to prepare that meal. Well, we certainly fit those two categories. I'll say this much, too. Uh, large gallon jugs of that sort of grocery store version of apple juice or is it apple cider you tell me it's in a big glass jug we brought that up with us and uh you know a little of that goes a long way uh when talking tonight about beans and turkey let's let's start drinking large quantities of uh apple juice from glass and and uh well let's just say it helped propel us in the canoe perhaps but the the hornets were thick at that point in the summer and uh we decided hey here's an idea We'll just leave the top off one of these glass gallon jugs of apple juice and see if that doesn't take care of it. And I'll be darned if it didn't work. 
It did. They left us alone, but boy, they in the morning you got out of your tent and you got up and you looked at that lake and you thought about jumping in it because it was still pretty warm. And there were about three hundred dead hornets in that apple <laughs> juice. So uh, it worked. That was a good plan. Worked like a charm. You know, Bjorn, uh, I wanted to bring up the subject of s'mores. Now, I'm a born and bred in Minnesota, and uh, as well, we can surmise from cabin country and the memories uh, you know there were many campfires many trips up here in cabin country and having you know cooking a lot of food over the fire we did roast marshmallows but never s'mores never s'mores and yet it seems to be ever present like how could you grow up and go camping and not enjoy or love s'mores and I, maybe an, I'm an anomaly. How about yourself, Bjorn? Well, uh, then there's a group of two anomalies uh, sitting around the fireside here on the Gull River tonight. I, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm not a fan. I don't care. For, I like I like the marshmallow as a kid. Uh, that was that was definitely a part of. We we camped traditionally with uh, another family for years when the kids were younger. It was an uh, affordable way to get outside and get get away from home for a while and enjoy the great outdoors and and that that family really enjoyed s'mores that was an evening sort of event you know it was something to do it was something they enjoyed uh they also did this thing where they did the uh the campfire pie maker you know you'd use like huh. store-bought white bread and a can of uh, pie filling and then some powdered sugar which you'd add later but you'd, you'd put the bread in these pie irons and you'd fill them up with with uh, you know cherry pie filling, apple pie filling, whatever, and then you stick them in the fire coals and just let them go for a while, and then they take them out and and uh, if they weren't too scorched, you know, put a little powdered sugar on them and let them cool a little bit because boy, you want to talk about the next best thing to food napalm. I mean that stuff was <laughs> hot and sticky and oh boy, you know your tongue. You talk about pizza going under your chin and you get the three degree burn under your chin. Well, this this brought new meanings <laughs> to the word hot food item uh, that could really cause some damage but yeah s'mores was always something they wanted to do and I it was interesting how each passing year with each passing trip I'd become less and less social about this time of the night where I'd just be like no nah, you know I don't I don't want it I, I don't like it um, I'll have a I'll have a marshmallow or maybe I'll just eat one of the, the chocolate bars here I don't I don't want the hot graham cracker mush, you know. <laughs> I don't know, and and yet the rest of the members of my family absolutely love them. Um, I've mentioned before we do a family trip every summer, at least uh, if we can, if we get the call, you know, to go up uh, near the Boundary Waters, and, and that's one of that camp's uh, two nights out of the week. It's about a six six day week at that camp, and the seventh you clean up and you leave it cleaner and you found it and you go home. But two nights of the week. There are s'mores social events, and one of them, and it's a great idea, you know, you make s'mores in the fire, and then you give it to someone you don't know, and you introduce yourself. That's all well and good, and I love it, and it, you know, for me personally, it's changed a little bit in the last few years. I've discovered I'm gluten intolerant. I, I do get quite ill. It's not just one of those fashionable things that people do. I, I really feel the, the pain, as it were, so it's just... I had to, oh shucks, I can't eat s'mores anymore. <laughs> now I have an out. Um, but, yeah, I'll be honest with you, Fudd, I don't. Uh, I'm one of those, that few percentile that born and raised in Minnesota, lived here, enjoyed the, the outdoors, and, and been in it, and loved it. 
And I don't get the s'mores thing. All right, then. I don't get it. Um, Me neither. Uh, my, uh, like your family, my family, too. My wife and kids love s'mores. When we come up here, we have them. And um, oddly enough... Almost a necessity. It's, it's like if it doesn't yeah. happen, something's wrong. Right. What's, what's funny is that my wife grew up with... Uh, her parents really never camped. Um, they really weren't outdoors people. Um, but yet the s'mores tradition was just somehow ingrained, picked up yeah. and ingrained. But, well, it's all right. I mean, uh, I've had a few, and that's great, and my kids love it, and that's fine. But um, I just wanted to speak out for those of us who... <laughs> I, I just didn't want people to assume that every Minnesotan or everybody that goes camping or cooks something over a fire uh, loves s'mores or did a lot as they were a kid. Uh, just, just, just thought I'd mention it. I did find last year, Fudd, while I was uh, prepping for Halloween. Um, you know, now you can find just about every flavor of candy corn out there that, that you can imagine. Um, and sure enough, there there they were, s'mores candy corn. <laughs> and oddly enough, um, I had to have them. Oh. I had to have them. Uh, those and the caramel apple candy corn and the, the traditional and then the chocolate. and It was all kind of mixed together. That that style, those three styles in one bag, but then the s'mores were on by themselves. And and ironically enough, ironically enough, those did not go over real well with my kids, who will oh. generally, you know, you could coat sandpaper and sugar, and they'd say, "Wow, this is great! I don't know where. Wow, where's this been all our life?" But boy, that uh, I like s'mores, Dad. This this isn't really working for me, and uh, that kind of surprised me because I thought, well, they're not all that bad actually. There's no graham cracker. I, 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 you know, cheers to those who love them. It's a great Minnesota Upper Midwest camping tradition, to be true, uh, to be sure, and uh, that's great. But I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Fudd. I don't, I don't need a s'more. I don't need a s'more ever again, and uh, and that's all right. You know, that's that's all right. All right then. Well, we're gonna stoke the fire a bit more and take a short sponsor break and. While we do that, uh, it's all right if you want to go and gather your s'mores-making materials, marshmallows, graham crackers, chocolate bars. I promise Bjorn and I won't give you any dirty looks. We'll be right back. This episode of Cabin Country brought to you by Dick Berditzman's Sizzlin' Bits. A weekend in the sticks gets off to starts and fits without sizzling bits. Get your mitts on the bits. They're a hit. This week on Lakefront Lifestyles, Marlene and Chops take a run at redoing a 1920s Cedar Shake Cottage lake home on the Minnesota shores of Lake Superior. Our couple, Tuck and Kelly, are hoping to bring a modern touch to this classic piece of lakefront history. The vintage look of the window shutters is passe and tired in the 21st century. This is not a Cape May beachfront property. Tuck and Kelly want a fresh face on this grand old matron, and I think I have the ideas that will meet with their approval. Mara always has the great ideas, and I'm the guy who can get them all swinging and move the project along. I've always been the grin and the brawn behind Mara's great ideas. If the couple says turn the place into a car wash with a public restroom, I'll rough it in for them. <laughs> That's well. Well, I'm a financial planner with a love for the waterfront, and I can see a great investment in Superior Shoreline when I see one. I'm picturing a waterfront garage for my jet skis and my cabin cruiser. 
and perhaps more of a pier than a dock going out into the big lake they call Gitchigumi. As for the cabin, or house, I think Kelly has a real open mind and has always been a fan of Mar and Chops on cable. I think any ideas Mar has for the interior and the exterior of this place will go over well with Kel. I'm picturing removing those cedar shakes and the shutters and going for more of a muted beige vinyl siding. I see Chops taking out the multi-chimney pot stone fireplace, and we'll go with space-saving baseboard heating. I've also found these plywood cutouts of Ma and Pa bending over picking weeds that can be put out front of the cabin facing the road. Cute and funny, don't you think? What about a hot tub with a resistance lap pool on the dock? Unless you can get the variants for the pier. I'm seeing a man cave for Tuck actually on the pier, with space for his nightclub beer fridge and, and his vintage Space Invaders game. And am I crazy, or does that sound like the coolest thing ever? Can you wire the dock for the neon light at the far end of the structure that welcomes guests to the property? Hello, and welcome. I noticed a lot of mature oaks and maples around the structure in the grounds. I don't want to sound lazy, but I am no fan of raking and bagging. Right Any thoughts on that? I have a visual artist friend who works in found objects and creates full-size replicas of palm trees. Chops can anchor those to the ground with poured footings. Chops, is your chainsaw running? And is your cleanup crew ready to go to work? Amen. Let's do this. Lakefront Lifestyles, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Now back to Bjorn Lloydstead and Bud Plugman in Cabin Country. Well, so is there something that uh, you can't live without if you are going to go camping? or is there, is there another staple? Now, we've mentioned uh, chili dogs are big. I, I still enjoy chili dogs. Even my wife, who is uh, like 99% vegetarian. But when we come up here, you know, it's just something you do. Well, well, there you go. Maybe to some people it's s'mores, and to others it's chili dogs. So, um, but uh, I don't know, like, what are the other meals you have up at, uh, with your, when you go up with your family? Is there other? Yeah, you know, there is a tradition that's kind of become... uh... Well, it's a tradition. I don't need to get redundant here. I, but this is a classic, and it always goes over well. A um, couple layers of really heavy-gauge aluminum foil. Um, a hamburger patty. bunch of cut potatoes, a bunch of cut carrots. Uh, any other veg you want to throw in there is fine, but it's potatoes and carrots have to be there. And usually something is just straight-up normal. is seasoned salt. Right, salt and pepper, or seasoned salt. Then you seal these things, and you get that campfire started as as sort of evening is setting in, and they just get set right in the fire, you know, mm-hmm. near the edge, and uh, they have the inglorious name in my in my wife's family, hobo dinners. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, if you've been out hiking or like we did this out east when we were doing some hikes that kind of turned into low-grade mountain climbing kind of stuff, uh, some pretty good, good-sized good mountain mountain hills out there. Um, I remember climbing Mount Abraham, you know. I, I think we were on a trip in New England, and it was a 
big hike. I mean, it took hours, and you got up to the top. You were several thousand feet up, and there were gliders zipping over. Mm-hmm. It was cool. It was really wild. And we were out there at the time when you know, the, the fields were cut, but there were pumpkins everywhere. Mm. Uh, the colors were turning. And uh, apple orchards were in full swing. You stopped in any store, you know, in New England. So there was farm-made uh, strong cheddar cheese. There were Every apple you can imagine just picked, you know. And then jugs of, of fresh cider on ice, and, and uh, that was all good. And we did the, we did those camping dinners or hobo dinners again, and it was like, man, nothing, nothing tastes better if you've really worked, you know. I thought about that today as we were like pulling on the, the ripcord of that Mariner, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and then paddling back in, or, or uh, dragging, you know, down wood and, and bucksawing it. Oh, maybe get some foil and make some hobo dinners, but. No man, I had my pound of turkey and two pieces of bread. I'm slowly going into a coma as we speak, so it's uh, that's good too, and I, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, I love it. Pickle plank and the mayo and the mustard, and it's all good. I love it. But uh, yeah, that for me is probably kind of a kind of a critical. If I can find a bun that's gluten free that isn't horrid, boy, there's nothing like the hot dog or the chili dog right over an open fire. I like that too. Mm-hmm. That's awfully good. But, uh, yeah, if my kids are with me or, or uh, you know, my family's along or with extended family, you better believe before all is said and done and that last ember goes out, boy, if there aren't chocolate bars, graham crackers, <laughs> and marshmallows. And then watching the younger ones, you know, like the four-year-olds trying to figure out how to do the marshmallows without, like, creating a, a charcoal briquette. Right. And do you want this one, Uncle? Yeah. <laughs> I got to be honest. I how do I say no here without hurting your feelings? I'm not sure, but uh, sure, thank you. And then, wow, the fire got really bright there for a second on that corner. What happened? I don't know. You turned your back. I know. <laughs> I'm a bad man. I don't know what to tell. I'm a bad man, Fud. But, uh, you know, but they get it. In fact, I've got a nephew who keeps reminding me, you can't eat these. This is wheat gluten. You can't eat this. Want one? That's right. Oh, you no. can't eat this. <laughs> thank you. No, I can't. No, I can't. How, how about yourself? A uh, chili dog? Anything else come to mind? That, uh... You know, it's funny. We tried to, you know, be health conscious and try some lean, leaner hot dogs, or maybe some, maybe even some vegetarian hot dogs. No meat hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. That's bad. That's uh, even my wife, who I like, I said is for the most part vegetarian. It's like, no, it's no. not worth it. If you're no. gonna have a hot dog, it, it's got to have. It's got to be a real hot dog. Yes, it's salty and greasy and probably not good for you, but it's it's still soul food. Yes. It's, you know, there might be a couple religious beliefs that will challenge that, but by and large, I'm kind of of the mind you only live once. And I'll, uh, I'll be honest with you too, Fudd, coming up here, driving through small-town Minnesota headed north, and you pass by some pretty reputable meat markets. And uh, if you can get, you know... A hot dog. I've got a. I've got a favorite place. It's got a couple chains in in Piers and Little Falls. Let's just say I won't name names here, but they're pretty well known for their bacon. And uh, or there's some places in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where boy they make they make their own in-house hot dogs. And and uh, boy, those things. It's it's uh, it's fine dining on a on a metal skewer going oh, into yes. that fire. And uh, <clears throat> that over a, a veggie pup. Oofda. Wow. No comparison. Got more power to those who can eat a, a flame-roasted vegetarian hot dog. But I, I don't know 
I don't know how you can do it. You're, you're a better person than I. Say it kind of makes me think of that movie, uh, Defending Your Life. It was with Albert Brooks. Oh, yes. Rip Torn. And, you uh, bet. There was a scene between the two where they're having lunch, and Rip Torn is eating, well, what just looks like a piece of crap. And uh, he's saying, this tastes great to me because of my superior development. You know, I'm. this looks like crap, but it's really, it tastes amazing to me. And Albert Brooks just is wincing at it and everything. Well, I think that's what happens with the, the, the veggie dogs. It's like, uh, if you've convinced yourself that it tastes really good, well, that's more power to you. But I, no, just give me the, uh, <laughs> the old greasy stuff. And if you can avoid a stomach ache, all the better. But uh, That helps. That does help. I do recall our last chili dog outing up here. It was uh, made for a long evening. <laughs> there were a couple of us sitting around. To quote you, Fudd, we felt like we'd eaten... The Sunday the paper. Sunday's paper. Absolutely. You better believe it. Yes, indeed. But, well, but it tasted good going down. I haven't been able to uh, convince my family. Well, I, I even at home, Sloppy Joe's doesn't go up. That used to be another staple growing up with my dad. You know, you, you buy these cheap white buns, and you, you know, you brown some hamburger, throw some ketchup and mustard in it, and a little brown sugar and salt and pepper, and you've got Sloppy Joe's and. Well, I used to like those. They're just kind of sweet, tangy, and meaty. But uh, no, I have, the, the tradition hasn't been able to be passed down. Nope, hasn't gone over well in our house either. Uh, I will say this much curious aspect going back to the days of Daggett Lake. And my dad, if you were at the cabin, that, that Weber kettle grill was going to get fired up, usually on Saturday night. And uh, his favorite thing was, uh, and this has always struck me as kind of iffy. I, I don't know, maybe I just, I'm not very good at grilling. I'm okay with steaks, burgers, shish kebabs, chops, things like that. But he'd do chicken. And I know it's you've got to be careful. You don't want to scorch the outside and then have, you know, raw rubber bird on the inside <laughs> and flirting with uh, food poisoning. But he'd, he'd do it just fine. But his idea of what made for a good you know, sort of almost like a barbecue sauce, he was all over French dressing. And for the life of me, and it was all the rage there for a while because, oh, this is so good. And, and I was eight. Sure it is. Great. You know, sisters would come up with their husbands or whatever, the aunts and uncles. Boy, this is interesting, Richard. What, what is this? <laughs> oh, it's uh, Weber kettle chicken. Believe it or not, French dressing. <laughs> the French. I think a lot of times people kind of looked and shook their heads and said, Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I don't like it, but I believe it. Uh, uh, had a tendency. There's a high sugar content there, and boy, would that catch fire. You know, it was candied barbecued chicken. It was, oh uh, it was a bit much, but uh, at the time, I loved it. And uh, he made some other interesting things, too. My mom was a church organist, so on Sundays, he'd do the cooking. And Sundays could get really, really interesting. If he, <laughs> he made some curious loaves dare i say it was meat and it was in a pan i don't know what else it was but it was from time to time inedible um but he was also the guy that would go afield and he'd come home with pheasants he'd come home with grouse and uh boy that was good you know that was what kind of hooked me on hooked me in i should say early on hooked me on early in however you want to say it i uh i've had a great respect for the the well-cooked well rough grouse or uh, Nice, nice uh, pheasant dinner. That's good stuff. Um, winter, my dad didn't want to bring, you know, wheel the big charcoal grill outside when it's 10 degrees and snow everywhere. And 
colder than all get out, but he would he had a small hibachi grill, like a Japanese hibachi, and, and he'd get that going, and he could just have that out on the back stoop, and cement slab, and he didn't have to move all kinds of things. And he'd do steaks, and every now and again, you get a winter sunny day, and, and some of that snow would kind of melt, and you'd see the dead grass and the dirt around the edges. <laughs> at one point, he had made steak, and uh, grilled steak, and and uh, A, the neighbors used to just give us grief. Oh, you have steak every Sunday. You're just rich. Like, <laughs> no, it's just something my dad sees as important. So he set aside the money for that, you know. And anyway, he grilled these steaks, and my mom was sawing away through hers, and all of a sudden she's, oh, my God, I think I just bit into a rock. Wait a minute. There's dirt all over this thing. <laughs> Richard, what did you do? There's dead grass on this. Did you kick over the grill? And again, this is classic. He's trying to not skip a beat. No, no, no. And all, he just couldn't stop. He, that Cheshire cat look on his face. And <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm sorry. I knocked it over. If you might remember from an earlier podcast, the same kind of sound when he let go of Mom's five-pound northern. That I was going to take it up and clean it, but it just jumped and got out of my hands. You let it go. <laughs> well, she he was he was giving her a a steak medi- medium well with lawn clippings and dirt and uh, boy that that was never forgotten either. I'll say that much. So there will now be a short intermission. All right. When we return, Bjorn will share one of his mom's refreshing lunch recipes for hot summer days at the cabin. And then we'll return to the Oakdale studio for another dive into the Schmidt Scenic Beer Can Collection. So hang in there, and we'll be back in a bit. Cabin Country would like to thank you for making the Cabin Country Podcast the number one podcast on GSPN, the Gas Station Podcast Network. If your favorite gas station doesn't play Cabin Country while you are at the pumps filling your tank, please tell them that you want to hear Cabin Country while you gas up. Nothing says gas like Cabin Country. And now our friend good old Lloyd would like to talk to us about Cramwell Soups. Every home chef and sportsman alike knows the value of enlivening the flavors of many Minnesota game species. In their prime, nothing beats the flavor of corn-fed pheasant or a deep-water walleye. But not all creatures were created equal. A particular goose on its own can be greasy, fatty, or strong. Venison can have a gamey flavor that overrides its hidden subtleties. A late-season lake perch may taste more like the lake bed than you'd like. You worked hard to hook or bag that trophy. What can you do to improve the flavor? Every angler, hunter, and household chef knows the importance of reaching for the right condiments when our quarry doesn't taste as good as it might. The chefs at Cramwell's have always offered you that valuable pantry ingredient, Cramwell's Cream of Wildlife Soup. Cream of Wildlife will take the dog days out of fish, the gamey out of game, and the wild out of wildlife. And it makes a keen hot dish ingredient, too. A can of cream of wildlife in your latest catch cooked low and slow. Nothing ever tasted better coming out of the oven. Add it to a saddle of venison, you'd think you were dining at the Four Seasons. 
And let's not forget that cream of wildlife tastes mighty good by itself as a soup course or a quick deer shack lunch. Cramwell's Cream of Wildlife Soup. It's in your pantry. We're glad to see you're still with us. Let's get back to Bjorn Fudd in Cabin Cut. I seem to recall you had a story about a hot July day oh. and, and eating something in the boat. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we were, again, it was July. It was, uh, you know, mid-July and 90-degree days. We had a little cabin that, you know, I've described it a million times, but it was a fishing shack. It was part of a fishing resort and and not high-end, you know, just up on cinder blocks and... and uh, knotty pine paneling and a bathroom off the main room and two bedrooms that was it and uh no air conditioning obviously i'm not even sure we had fans it was just it was hot in the cabin it was hot on the lawn it was hot on the dock you got on the boat oh we'll go out we'll have lunch on the lake there'll be a breeze it'll be cooler this will be it'll be good and uh you know there's times where people don't plan ahead real well I don't know that we understood it was going to be 95 degrees in the shade that day, but we decided we'd go out and eat lunch in the boat. In fact, we'd find Moonlight Bay, a little dogleg right after the channel on, on Cross Lake. There's a nice restaurant back there. They had boat docks. Come in by boat, hook it up, go up on, you know, have your have your drink and your hamburger and enjoy the, the view. But that wasn't our thing. No, we had packed lunch. We are going to do this, and uh, my mom had already planned the menu, so it was set in stone by Gash. And big, hot, you know, keep it hot kind of thermocooler kind of thing full of hot chili. <laughs> and then for drinks, I, I think I had a, a lukewarm can of, you know, some kind of off-brand cola or something. Everybody else... Well, we brought some cups. I brought a thermos of hot coffee. Steaming hot, <laughs> hot coffee. Hot coffee and hot chili. 98 degrees by that point. Sun is shining right down on us. We're sitting on, you know, rocking in the waves and just sweating to beat the band. And I just remember <laughs> later on that night, my brother-in-law saying to my sister somewhere when the folks weren't around, boy, nothing says hot weather like hot chili and hot coffee. What the heck was that? One last bit with that we we got the cabin and there were all these old vintage dishes in the in the cabins uh, you know cabinets in the kitchen and uh, i mean they probably find them now at antique stores or whatever but i think it was my brother-in-law's idea well i'll just rinse these out you know get the chili dregs off these dishes uh, in the lake here and and uh started in with the first one and all of a sudden oh and it you know let it go, and we just watched this chili-crusted bowl sort of float back and forth as it descended to the bottom of the lake. Well, that's enough. I think we're done now. Put the put the lid on the chili, put the cap on the hot th- thermos of coffee, and let's get the heck out of here. This is ridiculous. And we, half of us had headaches from the heat. It was just crazy. Odd planning. Wow. Nice hot weather menu. Some hot, hot chili and a steaming cup of coffee. Nothing better on a hot day. Oh, boy. Bring it on. At least it wasn't s'mores. (laughs) That's right. Let this fire burn down, and there might be some relaxing ahead. All right. 
Back to the glow of St. Paul's number one we go. All right, welcome back. Uh, back to the Oakdale Studios. Back home. Yes, and, indeed. And um, we're we've got we've got the box. The, we do. Uh, the Schmidt Scenic Box. Bjorn's getting ready. Scenics are here. Time is now. Reach deep into the collection and see what comes up this week. And Fud, we are looking at a flight of ringneck pheasants. The ringneck pheasants. The ringneck pheasants coming out of what appears to be a cut cornfield and uh, two roosters and a and a hen taking flight. Is that a barn in the background? Barn or? in the background, big red barn and some clouds, and it's kind of hard to tell if this is getting close to dusk or if this is daybreak. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Let me take a closer a, look a, at that. There, closer peek there, Fud. See what you think. A white, uh, a white house next to the the red barn. Yes, indeed. And uh, turning the can over. Uh, yeah, it's uh, awfully nice. You know, we haven't uh, gone into the fact that these cans were designed by uh, Les Cuba. Les Cuba, who is a Minnesota wildlife artist. Is from Hutchinson, Minnesota. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, uh, Les Cuba was winner of the the waterfowl stamp or, or some kind of oh. you know, different hunting stamps over sh- various years. So we should check that out. I think probably worth looking into. I'll, I'll get flagged on that one too. I'm not quite sure, but a lot of these artists do. You know, will get the duck stamp uh, winner more than one one time. So he probably had a couple. I know, like Terry Redlin had a few waterfowl stamps. So um, I'm sure Les Cuba did right, as well. Right. But uh, here in Oakdale, we have plenty of turkey wandering around. We'll have deer upsetting the neighbors with chewing their garden plants. And uh, <laughs> uh, I haven't seen any pheasants walking in the yard, but apparently they're they're nearby in the ditches. And and it reminds me too when I was a, a, a wee lad that um, we used to live uh, real close to what it was the lake across 94 from Tanner's Lake. And we used to call it Mud Lake. Okay. And I remember on a, on, I think in a, one of the episodes you said when you were on the way to the Oakdale studio it's on green. a summer day. Yeah. It looked like a positively verdant field I could run through with a soccer ball. Or... Yeah, just thick green. But um, that lake was, uh, during the winter, I used to go down and wander around the, the cattails and uh, follow pheasants, you know, pheasant tracks. And one of my first, uh, like, home movies, I had the family Super 8 camera and uh, <clears throat> saw some tracks, uh, pheasant tracks, and, and I was taking little little a movie, you know. I was on the pursuit of this uh, this pheasant, you know. Big and game hunter, FUD. I, yes, right. Yeah, I, was, I was ready. Flugman afield. Whenever he was going to burst out of the bulrushes, I was going to be ready to film him. I love it. And I, I did... I did get, you know, a little a handheld shaky and out of focus shot of it as it flew away, but um, I was more excited to find his takeoff spot in the snow. It was like this neat pattern where his tail feathers and wings had sort of made an imprint in the snow. Sure. Oh, absolutely. But uh, so that was an early like uh, 
filmmaking, you know, I thought, all right, I want to, I want to be a nature cinematographer someday. And cut loose with that uh, patented rooster pheasant call and lift it up. Or? Well, yeah, I seem to remember he cackled at me as he, as he took off. But boy, that is a startling one, isn't it? It is. Well, to me, it always sounds like a. a fairly rusty hacksaw going through a beer can. Yeah, right. <laughs> really kind of abrasive and wow, you know, you know what you know what you're you're hearing. Yeah, there's no mistake in the the, the pheasant and uh, I don't believe they're native to North America. I think they're an import perhaps. I think so. I think if I remember my my Stan Tekela uh bird guide that I think it's might be from Asia. Asia, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a, an Asian import to the country. But, uh, well, it's been here long enough now. We, we've adopted it as our own. Without a doubt. They're beautiful, though. And I Now, you've had experience. I've never eaten a pheasant, but you, I know we've talked about oh, it yes. in a recent uh, yes. show. Yes, my dad was a big pheasant hunter, and, and uh, that, was, that was the normal quarry. That's what came home, you know, nine out of ten times. It was, it was ringneck pheasant that was going to end up in the oven. I loved it. I just remember thinking as a kid, boy, this is this is better than anything. Hmm. And um, it was one of those birds, too, where I've heard, you know, chefs saying, oh, you you have to let them age for a while. Hmm. Yeah, you, you know, the bird is shot and cleaned. You, you, you hang it for a few days before it develops any flavor whatsoever. And, I, I, you know, to me, I don't know if that means so it gets gamier or, <laughs> <laughs> gee, this tastes... A little spoiled, you know. I mean, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, but, I, you know, I think that's that was kind of my dad's deal. I, th- those birds would sit out in the garage for a day or two before he'd huh. he'd uh, pluck them and, and, you know, he'd gut them right away. Obviously, yeah. you got to get, you want to get, you want to get all the awful out of that bird. But, uh, yeah, they'd, they'd sit out there for a while and then, well, tonight I'm going to go out and pluck feathers you want to join me and i'm here to eat it i just don't want to watch you you know he always saved me two or three of the big tail feathers you know put these in your room put them in your ball cap whatever act like you shot it look what i got you know i remember being a kid too thinking can i can i cut this into a quill and impersonate <laughs> you know the founding fathers uh, <laughs> scribbling away on parchments or yeah. I, I wasn't sure, but uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a, it had a great taste. I'm not quite sure what uh, what my mom did to them. You huh. know, anything different than maybe what she did with the chicken? I'm not really sure, but it, maybe it was just that exotic element too. You know, yeah. something we don't get every day, and you're not going to find it in the store, right? Which that's kind of a misnomer. I mean, you look in the right high end grocery stores, and you'll find you know, duck, pheasant. There's all kinds of things from farms. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, these always came from a farm, all right. I mean, usually he had shot them either on my grandfather's farm up in uh, Kensington or an uncle's farm out in Cyrus, uh, you know, western Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You're kind of getting... I always got the feeling that pheasants, you, you headed west. You know, you headed yeah. west kind of towards the Dakota borders and yeah, where people were farming grain and corn. and that was That's what you were going to find. And, you know, Fudd, ironically enough, um, I've been offered to, at some point, if we're ever feeling itchy trigger fingers, I've got a, I've got a, you know, my wife's uncle has a place down by uh, Northfield and Dundas, hmm. and it's, uh, it's a farm spread, and he's, he's told me many times, you know, Bjorn, you ever want to 
go for a walk. You're, you're welcome here. So that that could be a future expedition. Perhaps we'll might have to take advantage of that. Grab the digital recorders and. <laughs> yeah. uh, I gotta yeah. put down the recorder. I got a shot. Go for it. Dang. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Right? That uh, it's an interesting bird. You know, they get up and they they go for a hundred yards or so, and then they land again. They just kind of glide yeah. into cover, and so it just becomes okay. We'll walk a little farther and maybe maybe raise these things again. Yeah. They they I think they prefer to run uh, more than fly because I suppose they're more vulnerable. If you if they can well, hide. Yeah. If they can stay low and under cover. Well, that, that brings back a couple things. A gentleman I worked with at one point did a lot of his hunting in South Dakota. And he talked about how in his hunting parties, it was considered a better shot to actually bag a pheasant on the ground. Oh, really? And for some reason, and, you know, Don, I don't know, maybe at some point we'll get the phone board working here, but someone might call in. I I always felt like Minnesota kind of gentleman's rules you give the thing a fighting chance, you know, let it go airborne. Yeah. And then you test your, your shooting prowess. If you can't bring it down on the wing, I, that to me, I, I don't know. I, yeah. For some reason, it's like shooting fish in a barrel or something. You know? Right. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? But, and then I can't help but think, too, well, I missed the pheasant, but <laughs> I bagged Uncle Ted. You know, he's he's over there hopping <laughs> up and down, clutching his red wing boot. And, or Duke, the old black lab yeah. that's... <laughs> Took off running and then somehow managed to go airborne. There he goes. Bring him down. Uh, Seems to remember a dream your dad strange had. dream uh, my father had at one point, yes. But uh, that that comes to mind. And then just the the year upon year driving up the Cross Lake chain, you know, the whitefish chain, driving up to the cabin. And, and anywhere 45 minutes outside of the Twin Cities, west, south, north, east, didn't really matter, you start seeing the the signs, you know, don't mow ditches. Oh. Pheasants forever. Don't mow the ditches. And, yeah. And uh, I think I think pheasants do love kind of hanging out in those roadsides where there's just thick grass and cover and, you know, I'm, I'm guessing perhaps fewer coyotes or I, I don't know. You know, hmm. I don't know what it is about the ditches and the roadsides, but I think they, they love that cover. And perhaps there's a lot of... A lot of forage in there for them and uh, wild grass or, or, you know, some kind of seed, I'm guessing. And showing my ineptitude here with pheasant hunting, I don't, I'm not sure, but clearly they must love them. Hence mm-hmm. all the signs, please don't mow the ditches. And, you know, five times out of ten, too, we'd be driving by these huge lawnmowers hacking up the ditches as we'd be going <laughs> up north. Hey. Well, I guess they weren't really paying attention to the billboards. Not a pheasant hunter, are you? Didn't, didn't get the word on that. I think I even heard at one point how detrimental that could be to local pheasant populations when they're mowing. If, if birds were nesting in ditch sites, you know, the mowers coming through and just mm-hmm. wreaking havoc on, on young pheasant populations. So, I don't know. Perhaps someone from Mindot will call up and say, how dare you, you know, besmirch our good name here. We're just trying to... Keep the ditches clear, so if you have car trouble or whatever, but... I seem to remember that uh, several years ago, I was at a at a one, the sportsman's show at uh, on the fairgrounds they have sure. annually. And Great Minnesota get-together. They had a drawing contest for kids, like under the age of 14, and I think the title of the, the program was called Ditches Are For The Birds or something. And, okay. And... Uh, 
the kids just drew basically pheasants, uh, maybe other wildlife, um, you know, habitating in, in ditches and the importance of keeping those ditches full of habitat or, you know, right for the birds to live Cover in. Cover for so, the birds. So they were trying to raise awareness then. Another interesting thing about pheasants I learned from my dad is, say you want to hunt them on a game farm, that's kind of a common practice. I know he's done that with my Uncle Jim quite a few times, and uh, it's pretty fascinating. You you call up, reserve your time, you, you purchase however many birds you expect to hunt, you know, maybe six, and what they do to prepare them is they fold the heads under the wings and it makes them pass out, fall asleep. Mm. And then they just lay them in, in the cover and um, I don't know when they wake up or if you have a dog. Come out of their reverie. <laughs> right. Look What's around. happening? And oh my goodness, fly away. Wide-eyed. <clears throat> but uh, that's that's pretty Because I always used, used to think, well, what? Where did, won't the birds just fly away? Like, I'm out of here. But no, I think the, if they're raised on a farm, being fed all the time. They stay gonna... close to their food source. And... Right. So, right. I mean, you could say, you know, is that, you know, is that as... Uh, sporting. Sporting, but uh, I still think they get up and they fly away from you. You know, they're right. still wary enough. I paid for this quarry. They're right. out there somewhere. Where'd they Hold all still. go? Hey, you know, I bought six birds. Where'd they all go? <laughs> right. That was on you to find, you know. Yeah. I've talked to a few people who've done that as well, and they've always they've come back with their with their number. So apparently that's a thing. I'm not quite sure. You know, I've also heard on the game farm sometimes they'll they'll fill uh, pheasants with helium and then just let them go, and it's kind of like an untied balloon just rocketing up into the air. <laughs> All right, maybe I'm I, I was that's, gonna say, that's what? hogwash. You had me going there. What? We'll let that get edited out. Look at it go! Wow! Yeah, Draw you, a beat on that thing. Yeah, fire Explode. on it. <laughs> the Hindenburg. <laughs> the humanity. Right. Oh my God! The pheasantry. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. There's nothing left. <laughs> nothing left to hang. Three birds. I have three shooters aiming in the same bird. Well, now that's another thing. It's just, you know, you were talking earlier, Fudd, about, and you've all got your your kind of clock gauge on the on the yeah. horizon. Which part of the sky you get right. to shoot at. So, you know, three shooters all drawing a bead on the same bird and pulverizing this thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the sport of the field and, and understanding the, uh, the gents' rules for who gets to shoot. I know, uh, I, I, I've told this story, but I don't think it made it into the, the episode where my brother and I were out with an uncle and we were walking along railroad tracks and a pheasant did get up out of the ditch, you know, down from the track. And um, I think the three of us just watched the thing fly away. <laughs> and later when... Showing the beauty and majesty. Met up with my dad. Yeah. And, and, and then he asked if we saw anything. Well, one got up. And my uncle said, "Yeah, I, I let the boys have a chance, but uh, nobody, nobody shot. I, it was just kind of <laughs> funny. I don't know if we were just like, well, are you going to shoot it? No, are you going to shoot Your it? Your turn. I, what? No, hey, well, I, I don't want to. If I remember right, un- Uncle Joe was in the front. He, uh, he was walking point, and uh, we may have had Duke, the, the old black lab, who you bet. was getting frozen in the nether regions. Uh, sure, it was a cold morning, but uh, yeah, I never." Never 
shot one. Again, I had a shot at a coot. And uh, my dad has a funny story that um, I've got actually recorded him sharing a story of me firing skyward towards some bluebills. And uh, I mean, they were long gone, but uh, I'll save that for another time. That's one thing I've always wondered, too, is just, you know, pheasant, it's fairly obvious. They don't stay airborne all that long. You take right. your shots, and, and then they're already gliding back into cover. You know, yeah. Ducks, on the other hand, you got one chance. It seems, yeah, and I and I've heard that from so many shooters. Oh, don't even bother now. And it would appear that they're still within range, and then you realize you're you're basically, you know, the range of a shotgun isn't all that great. Right. So as as you're seeing them kind of recede into the sunset. Don't bother, you know. You you missed your chance. You're just shooting to make noise at that point, I right. think. Yeah, these bluebills were like straight up into the air by the time I got my act together to try to fire. And that you know, that's one of the first lessons too also in in gun safety, you know, don't shoot straight up into the sky. Right. Um not that this shot is going to come down 10 minutes later and put little pellets in your head, but uh it's just not a good practice. Raining shot, hallelujah. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, I, the only other thing I can think of when I think of pheasants, of course, is South Dakota and how, you know, in Minnesota you, you'll see various kinds of roadkill, you know, lots of squirrels. And these days it's strange to see, like, possums. You a know, lot of possum the, out there, yeah. On, this on has been a year I've noticed a lot of... But mangled possum, yeah, uh, deer, deer. But in South Dakota, I was surprised at how many pheasants. At least on this one trip I took, coming back, it seemed like every mile or so there would be a dead pheasant on the side of the road. That probably because they were so they're so heavily populated. I think compared to Minnesota, that uh, just getting up in front of cars and and uh, meeting their end, right? You know, unless they're. You know, suicide pheasants. I don't know. Yeah, never like, can tell. I, I can't handle it anymore. These ditches are being mowed out. And I wonder what that is from. about South Dakota that that makes it such a. Such I a don't spot. know. It's a magic. It's a magic land. It's weird. You cross that Missouri River, and it's it's a whole different landscape. The yeah, rolling plains. You know, not not as many trees, but uh, it's pretty pretty awesome. But yeah, maybe we're gonna have to. Uh, Take your your uncle up on 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 Take walk, a walk in the field. through the wilds of Dundas, uh, the cut cut cornfields of Dundas, Minnesota. That gives me trepidation sometimes as I'm thinking, boy, are we close to the freeways and <laughs> you know two major colleges? All <laughs> oh, right, strolling along, but you don't have to. You know, again, the guns don't have much range. Yeah, and you get to the outskirts where that farm is, and there's. There shouldn't be any college students running around, and, and you're far enough away from the freeway that you're not. Probably won't want to bring up your 22 like you did when you were no, a kid, aiming no, at a woodcock. No, that, that yeah, like <laughs> going after the mighty timber doodle with my, my pea shooter. That's uh, probably not going to happen. But oh, but it's fun. It's just a, the good old days. Fire the gun. So yes, either indeed. either Dundas, Minnesota, or one of these game farms. My dad. But uh, I'm such a rookie these days. Uh, I know my dad wishes I would have hunted a lot more uh, with him, but... Uh, I'm probably at that point, too, Fudd, where it's going to take me long enough to get the safety off. And, you know, I'm, are all my compadres here in, in the safe range? I'm, I'm not, right. you know... Yes. 
don't want to be winging a, a fellow hunter. Right. Well, gun safety, you know, it's good to be safe, and you just do it the way my grandpa did. He was more out for the, you know, wearing of the really nice clothes, carrying the really nice gun, and maybe once in a while taking a shot. But, you know, why bother? It's just the experience. being out in the field. So. Taking the walk. Taking the walk. Well, maybe, uh, have we reached the end of our pheasant, uh... I think, I think the pheasants are... Are taken care of at this point. I think I think we can say adios to that Schmidt scenic, the mighty Les Cuba's fine artwork here, and yes, and, indeed. Uh, I'll just say that I, my, my sort of surrogate grandparents who grew up kitty corner from me, I know they had one if not two Les Cuba paintings in their house. They were they were aficionados of hunting, artwork, you know, dogs. Oh yes, game birds, ducks, you know the whole bits, and and uh, I'm fairly sure they had that was, and those were prized, you know, pieces of artwork. And it's like this is a big name. This is Les Cuba. These were these were hard to come by. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for this edition of Fireside Food on Cabin Country and, and cooking around the, the campfire. Indeed, sir. And uh, we've we've we covered a lot of ground with that. The fun of multiple cans of. Various things hitting pots, <laughs> sizzling away. Uh, also, covered the the, the length and, and width of the the mighty pheasants as they appear on the Schmidt Scenic Collection. Beautiful Rising, Les Cuba design. Cut corn, absolutely. That's all good. I think our next episode here on Cabin Country. If you'll join us next time, we'll be talking about shutting down the cabin at the end of the season, and then possibly to the. The later season treks with the five-gallon pails that get flipped upside down as you auger through the ice and tackle the great cabin country tradition of ice fishing. Ice fishing. How many pounds of ice can you catch this year? <laughs> Absolutely. So, something to kind of wet your whistle for the next edition of Cabin Country. Uh, hope you'll join us. We'll keep the coffee pot going. I remain Bjorn Lloydstad. And I'm Fudd Klugman. And uh, we'll see you next time on Cabin Country. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.